Chapter 13 Becoming Nobody After the trip around the world, all my faith in God was gone. I believed that if I did the right things, then good things would come. But here I was, left without a path, without money, and so all hope was withdrawn. That night, it became so hot, just like the days in the desert, and so I poured water over my red turban. Then I stretched it over my toes and above my head. This way, when the air rushed past, it felt like air conditioning. What are we doing? I asked the intuition. You used to be somebody, but now you're becoming nobody, she said. Wait a minute. I'm not so sure about this anymore. Everything you said sounds as solid as the pyramid itself, but going from boyhood to manhood sounds like quite the chore. I'm not sure if I want to go about this anymore. The only way to do it is to go through it. Then you'll see. Give up that boy psychology, let it die, and then you'll be free, she said. I started building a small fire, and then I rolled a joint to smoke. My inner psychology was a mess, and so I inhaled the smoke and took in a toke. What do you mean, free? You'll see, she said. See what? That you're stuck in a rut, she said. But... No buts. This rut has been driving you nuts. Come on, silly klutz. If you've made it this far, then that means you've got guts, she said. What guts? The gutsiest guts. Why, your body is a grown man, but your spirit is healing the forgotten child that lives within boy psychology. Most men give up healing their boyhood foundation, and so they bury me, she said. Bury you? What do you mean? They bury the inner voice, where I send messages, signs, visions, and dreams. Most men don't listen to their intuition, and so their inner psychology remains in boyhood where they get caught in the confused world schemes. Boys compete and conquer. They grow greedy and attached to material things. They forget about the potential within the mature masculine spirit, even though this great potential waits within their own skin. Some people call my voice a midlife crisis. Usually that's when they hear me calling out for the very last time I'll ever yell. And if they don't answer the call, they could be on their way into a world of hell. I am that voiceless voice within the Atman. Call me the anima or animus. I am the mature masculine and mature feminine spirit. And I've seen so many forsake us, she said. But how? Every breath out we pass on. And every night we die. Then that morning star awakens our spirit, and so our layers rise. Good morning, good morning. Look at how the awareness shines bright. The mind begins to think while the eyes scan whatever is in sight. Day after day, life after life. The wheel of time keeps going, and yet so many lose sight. Locked into the world of confusion, they forget about our spiritual maker. The journey and evolution of our soul leads us to find the freedom and divinity that stems from our inner nature, she said. But I'm barely a man myself. And in truth, 
I've been in the very worst of all the boy psychology you've explained. Why, I've been stuck in the unconscious ever since Otto became my name. Why, Otto? She said. Someone called me Otto because I worked with machines, and so I myself, my life, and all my actions became automatic. That may have been the body's role, but let's examine your awareness beyond the sensory and somatic. If we look at your mind, the way it navigates sensations, feelings, sights, and sounds, you're the only one here who located the crossroads that other immature boys have not quite found. The death of boyhood could appear as a tragic loss or misfortune, but this is the pathway to kismet, which is your destiny into spiritual fortune. You must die to who you were. This is a psychological and spiritual death. From now on, all you have to do is breathe in and out, then continue to observe this breath. Give it away. Look from the selflessness of the Supreme Self, the soul, the spirit, which is the spiritual center. Surrender, surrender. There is no need to hold on, cling, or grasp at all through this endeavor. Clinging creates suffering, as the ego always wants its own way. But observe the soul. What is this witness within that makes you so whole? What is there, looking out? Yes, you. Who are you that observe so well? Checking out details, aware of what's next. Can you observe from the mind? Now can you emerge as fire through that heart-centered chest? There lives a light, watching how things go. An invisible flame suspended within, and along for the ride, watching your awareness flow. Now where will we go, and how fast will it occur? Can you focus your awareness on the top of your left hand? Then open and close your left hand three times. Can you focus your attention on the palm of the left hand? Then look and observe whatever you find. Examine any energy you feel. Then this is where your awareness is present. And this is like a spotlight. Be with that light. Breathe in, breathe out. Now what is this awareness about? Does it have any motive? Or does it just simply observe and let things pass through? Where can you direct it? And how is it here to serve? Now what will you set it upon? Well, let's watch and see where your will goes. Well, go, go, let go, and flow. Awareness goes where you lead it, and I sit within to watch the whole show. And so we grow, above and below. Just as the leaves stretch out from the tree trunk, the roots reach ever low. Mirroring each other, like the inhale and exhale of a single breath. But in between, there's a space. Yes, between full and empty. Now what is this moment of rest? Before a seed sprouts, what is this waiting process it undergoes? This is the same in-between after anything dies. And so we know this as the bardo, said the anima. Now the cat with the little tail jumped into view. Oh, it's kismet. Kismet, she said. Isn't it? There seems to be a misconception as to the idea of bardo, which is that it is purely connected with death and the after-death experience. But the experience of the six bardos is not concerned with the future alone. 
It only concerns the present moment. Every step of experience and every step of life is a Bardo experience, she said. What's Bardo? It's where you are, in between your old life in boyhood and approaching your new life in the mature masculine, she said. So I'm not a boy anymore? A boy is where you began, and Bardo is a Tibetan word. Bar means in between, or you could say, no man's land. And this is like a tower or an island located in that no man's land. It's like a flowing river, which belongs neither to the other shore nor to this shore. But there is a little island in the middle, in between. In other words, it is a present experience, like limbo or purgatory, the immediate experience of nowness, which is where you are and where your soul is at. This is the basic idea of Bardo. And since you've already built the fire, then see this death as a burning and an offering. If we had vultures, we'd let them eat your body to release the past. And since it is the end of your boyhood life that is closing, we welcome the mature masculine at last, she said. I took another couple tokes of smoke as I listened to the voices wander through my head. Were rituals real and permanent? Or was there a chance that I could actually end up dead? Now go and find a small stick. It needn't be thicker than a wire, she said. There were many sticks around here, and so I found just the one. I came back near the fire where this full moon ritual had begun. Think about what you need to let go of in order to move forward with the new. As if you were the pyramid itself, face the first direction and begin by blowing onto the stick all that you are willing and ready to let go of. Then turn to the second direction and release the stagnant energy with every breath as you blow on the stick. Turn to the third direction while blowing on the stick and detach from all grasping. And then turn to the fourth direction as you blow on the stick and place your stick into the fire and bring your past to closure beneath the power of the full moon. Watch as your stick slowly burns. Once it's done, snuff out the fire, take a deep breath, close your eyes, smile, and enjoy the lightness, she said. There was an in-between moment as I began burning the stick. The experience of such rituals also brings the idea of space, of course, and now the stick began to burn like a wick. Without seeing the spacious quality, which does not belong to you, to me, or to others, you would not be able to see the little island in the middle of it all. Life and death are like a river, and this is the experience of Bardo, which could only come from seeing the blank ground of space. And from that, within space, or an understanding of space, a brilliant spark or flash happens. All the Bardo experiences are situations in which we have emerged from the past and we have not yet formulated the future. But strangely enough, we happen to be somewhere. We are standing on some ground, which is very mysterious. Nobody knows how we happen to be there, but this is the place where we can be fearless. That mysterious ground, which belongs to neither that nor this, is the actual experience of Bardo. It is very closely associated with the practice of meditation. In fact, 
It is the meditation experience. It is also connected with the subject of basic ego and one's experience of ego, including all sorts of journeys through the six realms of the world, she said. What do you mean, ego? There seems to be different ways of using the word ego. To some people, the ego is that which sustains them, that which gives them some kind of guideline or practicality in dealing with things is referred to as an ego, being conscious of being oneself. And you exert effort through it, so any kind of self-respect is referred to as ego, which is a general sense of the term. But ego as we are discussing it is slightly different from that. In this case, ego is that which is constantly involved with some kind of paranoia, some kind of panic, in other words, hope and fear. That is to say, as you operate, there is a constant reference back to yourself. As you refer back to yourself, then a criterion of reference develops in terms of hope and fear, gaining something or losing one's identity. It is a constant battle. That seems to be the notion of the ego in this case. It's a neurotic aspect. You could have a basic sound understanding of the logic of things as they are without ego. In fact, you can have greater sanity beyond ego. You can deal with situations without hope and fear, and you can retain your self-respect or your logical sanity in dealing with things. Continuously, you can do so, and you can do so with much greater skill, in a greater way. If you don't have to make the journey to and fro, and if you don't have to have a running commentary going on side by side with your operation, it is more powerful and more definite. You see, getting beyond ego doesn't mean that you lose contact with reality at all. In a lot of cases, there's a misunderstanding that you need ego and that without it you can't operate. That's a real convincing bait twist. Hope and fear, as well as the notion of sanity, are integrated together and used as a kind of excuse that you need some kind of basic ground to operate, which is, I would say, a misunderstanding. It's the same as when people imagine they are a completely enlightened being. Then you have no dualistic notion of things. That is the idea of an ultimate zombie, which doesn't seem to be particularly inspiring or creative at all, she said. What do you mean by basic sanity? It is relating with things which come up within your experience and knowing experiences as they are. It's kind of the rhythm between experience and your basic being, like being on the road in accordance with the situation of your path, a kind of interchange. That is the basic sanity of clear perception. Otherwise, if you wanted to reshape this way in accordance with your excitement or your wishes, then possibly instead of reshaping the road, the road might reshape you and you might end up in an accident. This is insane, she said. That sounds like crazy wisdom. Now what about this way? Isn't it the Tao? It is the now. It's when you have a complete exchange with the way, or path, or present experience, that the shape of the way becomes your pattern as well. There's no hesitation at all. It's complete control. Not only control, 
but also a complete dance with it, which is very sharp and penetrating, quick precision. That precision comes from the situation outside as well. Not being afraid of the outside situation, we can tune into it. That's the fearless quality of this crazy wisdom, said the anima. And this way, what is it about this way? There is karma along the way, she said. Is there a simple-minded attitude towards karma? There seems to be all sorts of different attitudes towards the idea of karma. One is that if you constantly try to be good, then there will be constant good results. That attitude to karma doesn't help you transcend karmic creation. The idea is to transcend sowing the seeds of any karma, either good or bad. By sowing karmic seeds, you perpetually create more karma, and so you are continuously wound up in the wheel of experience called samsara. This is the cycle of suffering that the six states of existence reveal. It's the pattern of this world that never ends. Another attitude toward karma is that it is connected with rebirth, life, and death, which is pure blind faith. That approach brings a certain amount of psychological comfort, that this is not the only life, but there are a lot more to come. Other situations will come up, so you don't have to feel fatalistic anymore. That kind of attitude to karma is not dealing with the root of the karmic situation, but is purely trying to play games with it, or else trying to use karma as a comforter. It is based on distrust in oneself. Knowing that you are making mistakes, you think that even if you do make mistakes, you can afford to correct them, because you have a long, long time, endless time to do so, she said. Maybe I'm confused, but you're saying I'm carrying the weight of all I've ever done? This is a karmic pattern that was carried on when this life begun? Now what is rebirth? What is it that reincarnates into this body? Who am I, and what is it exactly that I embody? It's more of a rebirth than a reincarnation. There is no sense of a solid substance being passed on. You see, something continues, but at the same time, nothing continues. In a sense, we're like a running stream. You could give this river a name, but if you examine it carefully, the river you named 300 years ago isn't there at all. It is completely different, changing, passing all the time. It is transforming from one aspect to another. That complete transition makes it possible to take rebirth. If one thing continued all the time, there would be no possibilities for taking rebirth and evolving into another situation. It is the change, which is important in terms of rebirth, rather than one thing continuing, she said. Doesn't that happen moment to moment within a lifetime? Yes, exactly. You see, the ultimate idea of rebirth is not purely the idea of a physical birth and death. Rebirth happens every instant. Every breath out is a death, and every breath in is a birth. It's a changing process. There's nothing you can grasp onto. Everything is changing. But there is some continuity, of course. The change is the continuity. The impermanence of rebirth is the continuity of it. And because of that, there are possibilities of developing 
and possibilities of regressing, said the anima. Then I am changing. You are in between changing, and so you are in the bardo, she said. And what is this bardo exactly? In order to understand bardo experiences, you have to understand basic psychology. As we've discussed, the six realms of existence, God, jealous idols, human, animal, hungry ghosts, and hell. These different patterns are the sources of particular emotional experiences. They are the basic background. They are the space, and within that, there will be different experiences of bardo, which work well with the thought processes and with different types of emotions, rather than the emotions that you were born with or made out of. The experience of the six realms is like having a body, as you are involved yourself with the world of hell, hungry ghost, or human. But if you have a wound on your body, that is the experience of the different types of bardo, a flash of bardo experience. To understand bardo, we have to understand the patterns of ego. This is our basic involvement with situations, or the six realms. And the specific situation that we are facing, or bardo, has to have some relationship. The specific development of bardo experience, whether it comes from a dream, birth, death, whatever it may be, also comes from the pattern of ego. When we talk of ego, it is as if we are talking about a man with a body and limbs. It has a basic makeup, and it has its tentacles. The basic makeup consists of paranoia and confusion, but at the same time, its basic makeup started from some kind of wisdom, because there is a possibility that we don't exist as individual entities or as solid persons who can continue all the time. There is the possibility that as individuals, we consist of particles or lots of things, but those particles don't exist as individuals either. When the possibility first flashes onto itself, there's a sudden panic. If this is the case, we'll have to put up some kind of defense mechanisms to shield out any possible discovery of the non-existence of ourselves. We begin to play the game of deaf and dumb. We would like to be individuals who are continually existing, continuously surviving, continuously being one person, and not even making the journey through time and space. Time and space may be extra attributes, but the actual basic phenomenon of our consciousness of being has to be a solid thing. That's how ego tends to see it. So the whole thing is based on a kind of dream, wishful thinking. It is based on what we would like to be, rather than what we are. That leads to paranoia as to the possible discovery of wisdom. And that paranoia begins to develop. From that paranoia, you begin to experiment with extending yourself. You can't just remain constantly deaf and dumb. You also have to learn to establish your ground as deaf and dumb. That is, you extend yourself into different areas, different realms, trying to feel the situation around you, trying to project yourself, and then trying to experience that. It's a kind of experimental level of feeling. So first you have the basic ignorance or refusing to see what you are, and then you have the possibility of relating to yourself through feeling. The next stage is impulse. Feelings begin to develop 
beyond simply trying to feel good or bad or neutral. Feeling has to become more sophisticated and efficient. Therefore, impulse begins to develop along with feeling as that efficient or an automatic mechanism. Next, impulse begins to develop into perception. You try to perceive the result of your impulse actions. A kind of self-consciousness watcher develops as the overseer of the whole game of ego. The last development of ego consciousness, which is the intellectual aspect of the ego, trying to put things into categories, intellectual sense of them. We try to interpret things as their basic meanings, and we begin to see in terms of consciousness, in the sense of being conscious in relating with situations. That is the last stage in the development of ego. From the point of view of consciousness, the idea of Bardo comes through. Bardo experience presents a case of surviving. In terms of subconscious thought patterns, conscious thought patterns, dreams, birth, death, being with oneself, or the meditative state, these are the types of thoughts that we begin to pull out. The next situation in the development of ego is that as we develop our personal state of being, up to the point of consciousness, that consciousness not only acts in terms of our own subconscious thoughts, dreams, and such things, but also puts our particular shapes or patterns, or creeds, so to speak. It puts our sense of belonging to a particular race or particular family. Consciousness would like to associate itself with particular types of worlds. That is where the six realms we discussed begin to develop. Consciousness could either begin in the six types of the world from the world of hell, or it could start from the world of heavenly beings. It could start either way. That process is like buying land. We associate ourselves with a particular land, which is one of the six states of the world. Having bought the land, it doesn't matter whether the land is a hot land, the burning hotness of hell, the tropical land of human passion, the heavenly land with the clear crystal air of pleasure and meditative states, or whatever land we associate ourselves with as natives, we still have to survive. You see, the point is, how are we going to survive? We need some mechanism of survival, some method, and that survival mechanism, or survival police, so to speak, is that of the six types of bardo, said the anima.